Welcome back to another episode of Being at Work. I'm Andrea Butcher, and we have a great show for you today. Our guest says about herself, my essence is caring for others. You'll hear how that plays out in her leadership through our conversation today. Over the last 12 years, Erin Hedges has built an organizational culture based heavily on the concepts in the book Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. Listen in as Erin highlights two characteristics for achieving excellence through a multipliers culture. My big takeaway, you must be intentional about creating the foundation. Check it out. In 2002, I started a freelance consulting business to help build the capacity of nonprofit organizations in Indianapolis. And in 2010, I started to transition it from a sole proprietor into a small firm with additional consultants. So I I, I moved from being a lone horse to, to a leader of teams and people. And so I took advantage of resources like with the Small Business Administration and the Indy Chamber to show up my business strategy. You know, so that was a resource to me. But I was self-aware enough to know that my leadership style was going to need to transition as well. And so at the time, I was finishing my master's degree, and I took the opportunity to take some graduate-level courses on leadership. I engaged a leadership coach who was an incredible resource to me, and I read several books. Some of those were for those graduate classes. But one in particular, as you've noted, was really exciting to me and gave me really great clarity on how I wanted to lead others, and that book is Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. And so, Andrea, I know you know the premise of this book, but it's essentially that there are two types of leaders. There are diminishers and there are multipliers. And diminishers are those leaders who kind of drain the intelligence and the energy and the capability from the people around them. They're the kinds of people that like to be the smartest person in the room. Sometimes they're accidentally diminishing by being like so visionary and having so many ideas that it's hard for people to like jump in or jump on board and understand what's expected of them. Diminishers also tend to jump in and troubleshoot or finish projects for others um, instead of helping them find ways to stretch and problem solve. I'm certainly guilty, have been guilty of this in the past. But the premise of this book is that diminishers inspire only 50% of people's capacity. So on the flip side, multipliers are leaders who use their intelligence to amplify the smarts and capabilities of the people around them. And these are the kinds of leaders who inspire creativity and ideas and problem solving in those same rooms. And so the premise of this book is that multipliers inspire 100% of people's capacity. So Liz Wiseman talks about the five characteristics of multipliers, and there were two that really stood out to me um, at the time that I first read this book. And those were the two that really guided me the most in terms of how I was developing my leadership style. And the two are seeing the genius in others and instilling ownership and accountability in others. So with those two kind of strategies in mind, I thought I'd share a couple of ideas about how I feel like I... Um, embraced those ideas and became a multiplier for my organization. That's so good. Before you do that, I want to dig in just a little bit more, just a little more context I'd love to have before I hear the details. Because I'm, I'm just, I'm really struck by this transition from lone horse to leader of people and how seriously you took that transition. You know, so so much of the time, and Aaron, no doubt you've seen this over and over and over, is, you know, the really successful individual contributor is put into the manager role because they're good at what they do, but it's a different skill set. You know, you it sounds like you really recognized that intuitively and 
enlisted all kinds of resources, a coach and books. And clearly through your program, you were learning a lot as well. But how did you come to be so aware of the transition and the difference? Okay, so I think there are two, two things that happened. Um, one is, I am a I'm an S on the DISC assessment. So I am the person who wants harmony. I want to support people. I want people to feel good. Um, I don't like to upset the apple cart. So just, I guess, sort of my essence, my being is to care for others. And so I think that was probably the most important aspect of maybe just my personality for wanting to be self-aware and um, create a space where people feel valued and where they want to be. But but another thing um, that I think probably influenced me is when I was in my early 20s, so newly graduated from college, I was a supervisor of AmeriCorps members. And they were all about my same age because they were also just, you know, getting out of college. So I was I was a supervisor to people that were my age and I had a very hard time establishing myself as a leader in that peer group. And I did a horrible job of setting boundaries. I also, as an S, I'll blame it on being an S on the disc. I wasn't great at communicating expectations because sometimes it felt uncomfortable for me to to do that. And so without clear expectations, people weren't able to meet them. And then it just kind of, it just never created a space where people could flourish. And, and even one of the AmeriCorps members said to me, um, you know, you're a really bad leader. And he said it to me like as a joke because we were friendly, you know, we, we got along perfectly, but as a, as a leader, as a supervisor, I was failing. So (laughs) I think maybe I was hoping to not repeat that. And I, you know, I, I thank that person and we're still friends for telling me what I needed to hear at the time. Well, and your level of openness in hearing that also set you up and gave you a heightened sense of awareness so that when the time came, you're like, okay, I'm going to do this the right way. I'm going to take a step back and really figure out what kind of leader do I want to be? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so then so then that leads us to, so one of the books that was really pivotal for you through that exploration phase was Multipliers. And so you were just talking about the two characteristics of multipliers. So tell us, tell us more about seeing the genius in others and instilling ownership. So I love looking for the genius in others. It transformed the way I thought about how work could get done. So I learned about the 80% rule for delegation. And Andrea, maybe you've heard this one or something similar, but it essentially says that if you have someone on your team who can do a task 80% as well as you can, you should delegate it to them. And I find that when you create a multiplier environment, that person ends up doing it even better than you would have. So the 80% rule for delegation really works for me. And it really works for our company because people... I mean, I, I, one of the things I do feel like I'm pretty good at is I, I hire really great people and really smart people. And so there's a reason why I do that. And getting out of the way and letting them do their, their work is kind of essential to the multiplier. Yes, getting out of their way. Yeah, that's, that's so empowering. But that's also consistent with your style, right? I mean, that Um, you talked about the essence, your essence is caring for others, letting others shine and step up. So I suspect that one came pretty naturally for you. It does. It absolutely does. 
Yeah. <laughs> so what would you say, and no doubt you have seen, Aaron, leaders who have the opposite style. So, you know, you talked about on the disc, you know, dominant influence, steadiness and conscientiousness. You really fall into that steadiness style. What about someone who has a really direct or assertive style? Like that's, that's probably not going to be as natural for them. What advice would you give? So there have been times when I've had to protect that multiplier culture at Hedges, right? We've, we've had times where we felt like we were at risk of, of kind of damaging that. And so honestly, what, what I've done is I've um, asked folks to read multipliers and talk to me, you know, and talk with me about it and, and go on a journey together of exploring what it means to oftentimes folks are accidental diminishers, right? They, they just are so good at being independent producers that uh, when they are put into a leadership position, they kind of, you know, the skills that got them to where they are aren't necessarily the same skills that are going to make them successful in leadership. And so I just find that multipliers is a great resource to have important conversations with folks that are on that journey to be able to say, you know, what maybe just that self-awareness isn't there, that oftentimes it can be accidental. I think that's probably the majority of the time, right? I mean, so as someone who has that like really driven, I am such an achiever and also a visionary. And so I push my team really hard. And it's really interesting because there was a time in my career that those things that I thought were multiplier kinds of behaviors, I actually learned are that you mean you set it up earlier. They're they're diminishing. Like you you have a very entrepreneurial visionary leader that's going so quickly and changing direction so quickly that he's leaving people feeling very disempowered. And I can fall, even though I'm an ass, I can fall into that space of having a vision, but not being able to articulate it, not taking the time. And I don't know if it's my S, I don't want to take up too much space in a room or what it is, but it's something that is hard for me to, I can see the, what I have as the end in mind, but I'm not always good at putting the pieces together. And the people around me know that. And so they have to ask the probing questions all the time. And they're the ones that help me get things on paper and put things, systems and processes together, because that's just not my style. <laughs> yes. Well, and so, I mean, just in listening to you, I'm just reminded then of how important it is to be paying attention, paying attention and being aware of the impact we're having, the things that we're doing. You know, because going back to the the point about accidental diminishing, you know, just that language has been really helpful for me as a really like a, as a driver. My intention was never to diminish, but that was that was the impact I was having in a lot of cases. And as soon as I named that and and became aware of it, then I'm equipped to be intentional and do things differently. Yeah, I think it's really powerful. Um, and again, that's Liz Wiseman's uh, words, not mine. So <laughs> we can both thank her for that. <laughs> thank you, Liz. <laughs> We're borrowing it for just a little while. Well, and I love how it has become a part of your culture. I mean, is that is so cool. I love that you say like you, yeah, it's your responsibility to protect the, the multiplier culture that you've built. Yeah, absolutely. And I clearly didn't do that alone. So, you know, as I started to see the genius in others, and we started to build a team of folks, I started to see that there were opportunities for others to lead more complex projects and initiatives. And I wanted them to 
succeed in that. And I knew that the next steps of being able to use your genius is to be able to understand what it means to be, to have ownership and be accountable for the things that matter to our business and to our clients. And so I knew that in creating a culture where that would be evident, I was going to need to have to create some systems and some processes um, that it couldn't all just live up in my head. So I was fortunate enough to hire a woman who is now our vice president, Jody Snell, because she is, I had known her for many, many years prior, but she is one of those people that can create systems and processes and she's a multiplier. So I knew she was a good fit, but she helped me with those systems, those processes grounded in those clear expectations and running that through performance evaluations and feedback loops and resources for success. And so that's really how we took that idea of shared leadership and made it really part of our, our our systems and our processes. And so we gave people more complex opportunities to do what we call stretch opportunities, where people can uncover new skills and new talents. And we also established a culture where team members receive coaching and support from their colleagues as they learn those new skills and that they also give coaching and support to others. So in fact, in our professional development plans, 20% of our time involves either being coached and learning a new skill from a colleague or coaching others on the team, which basically then makes everyone a multiplier. It also sounds like it's really, the expectations are really clear because you've defined the processes. People know what success looks like. They do. And we are so intentional about making sure we have a very intensive onboarding process where some might call it maybe a little over the top with detail, but um, we feel like if we can give everybody, you know, what we believe all the tips and tricks and resources they need and, you know, with frequent check-ins, weekly check-ins, just, you know, 30 minutes for the first 90 days, how is it going? What questions do you have? What What are we missing? How are you feeling? We just feel like that really results in a strong onboarding so that people feel safe and they feel like they can use their genius, but they also understand what accountability looks like and what success looks like too. What I hear in that is, so it starts with setting really clear expectations. That's what you do through your onboarding process. And then through those regular check-ins and how are you doing and coaching, you're creating an environment for accountability. You're creating an environment that's safe for people to say, hey, I'm struggling or this is where I need additional help. Absolutely. And that is, that is such a strong foundation because a conversation I have with leaders a lot, I just had this conversation yesterday, is leaders who struggle in cultures that have not done that, where there's not a culture of accountability. And then a leader comes in and has a really hard time holding someone accountable because they're not used to being accountable. And so suddenly they, they think, oh my gosh, you're being really mean to me. Absolutely. Once those cultures are set, it's really difficult to unwind them because people feel, well, they're just, there's, it just takes a lot of time to build trust, I think, and create a space where people feel valued and accepted. You know, I think one of the reasons that it was, I guess, sort of easier for me to do that too, is thinking about the next person that might come into Hedges, right? And be our, be our next leader when I decide to, to sunset. I want to make sure that Hedges lives forever and that forever. That sounds so <laughs> dramatic. But I want to make sure that um, you know Hedges is available for the nonprofit community 
you know, when I'm ready to, to move on. And so I want to make sure that it's a good place for people to work, not only now, but also in the future and that the next generation of leaders are able to succeed. Yeah. So that's what you mean when you talk about creating a culture is something that will, that will continue on. So what advice would you give leaders in that situation that I described? Because we've got a lot, we've got a lot of listeners, no doubt, that are struggling with how to, how do I do this in an environment where that's really nice, <laughs> that there hasn't been a lot of clarity, there hasn't been a, a focus on follow through and accountability. So unfortunately, there's not a lot of ownership. What would you say to a leader in that environment that wants to hold people accountable? It's important always to know your why. And so I think in leading teams and spending time talking about why things are important can really allow folks to engage in the conversation and articulate what's important about um, an organization or a company and what it stands for and what it's willing to make sacrifices for and, and what it's not. And I would recommend going through a series of conversations with um, not just the leadership team, but all members of the company or the organization to talk about why are we here and why are we why are we getting the results we're getting? How can we do better? And how would we go around about doing that together? So I think, you know, the work that we do at Hedges in strategic planning, you know, we're, we're highly inclusive. We say that, you know, boards can't go in and, and create a vision and a strategy without input from the folks around them. And so I think engaging folks in the why and in the how can reveal some strategies. And when other people, you know how it is, when other people come up with the ideas and the solutions, then they're already more bought in. So it's not necessarily that a new leader or a leader has all the answers because that is rarely the case but to engage others in the problem solving and the solution finding would be my recommendation. That starts to establish that culture of openness. We're in this together, collaboration. It's, it's also, when you talk about knowing our why and why things are important, what we stand for, it makes me think too of the, the foundation of a shared vision. You know, within your organization, everyone has rallied around your mission and the vision of, of what you do for your clients. So same thing within any team or organization. If you can get everyone rallied around a shared vision, a shared why, that's going to create it's, it's just a, a jumping off point that we're all aligned in. Absolutely. You know, I read Crucial Conversations several years ago, and what I what I took really mostly from that book was that once you say something that you've maybe not wanted to say, but if you put it out there and then it's a reference point, you know, the hardest part about a difficult conversation is the, having the first conversation. The rest of it is easy. You know, then we, we become human and we have a normal conversation and we work with up to, oh my gosh, this is the worst possible thing. We're never going to get past this. And then when you start to talk, um, and you start to realize that you know you all kind of want the same thing, or you have shared values or shared vision, then the solutions sort of reveal themselves. Well, so it does. It takes courage to take a step back and do this work, have a hard conversation. It's also because it's messy and it's uncertain. It's it takes vulnerability, which is why it takes a lot of courage. 
It does, but it also takes everyone giving others grace. And we talk a lot about that at Hedges. So when things get crazy, we're so busy, you know, we're all just, we have all have a million balls that we're juggling in the air. We talk about, thank you for giving me grace. Or please, you know, I ask for your grace with this. And so we ask for and we re- receive and we give grace in a way that um, gives people the benefit of the doubt if they forget to do something or they're late at doing something. We try to make sure that people feel like, you know, we are human and we're all here to support each other. And that's part of that shared leadership too, that if we we're kind of all in it together. (laughs) So what do you do if you do have performance issues pop up? How do you manage that? I mean, I've, I've dealt with that in my career where I've given a lot of grace, I've given a lot of grace and nothing changes. Unfortunately, sometimes you have to kind of <laughs> come up with a performance plan and, and you know, reestablish or rearticulate the expectations and make sure that folks know what those are and have the resources to succeed. So sometimes it's a, they're not getting something because maybe we never really articulated it well enough in the first place for them. Or maybe we explained it in a way that made sense to some people, but isn't doesn't make sense to other people with learning styles or, you know, just or previous experiences. So, you know, we always try to refresh the expectations and then set up kind of a plan for, okay, this is what good looks like. Here are some examples of how you you can meet these expectations in the next 90 days. Here are the opportunities for that. Always making sure that we're going to be right here. So reach out, please use this as a resource. You know, we want you to succeed, but then you kind of have to see if if it's going to be possible for that person to meet those expectations. So it goes back to a lot of the concepts you've, you've talked about, right? Getting really clear on what's the expectation and how you can support him or her along the way. Yeah. And what I found is, you know, when folks aren't meeting expectations, it's usually just not a, a great fit. And so when we've had those conversations too, it's like, it's kind of like a conversation that you had been avoiding. And then both parties are like, yeah, this probably isn't the best. (laughs) And it ends up being this blessing in disguise. I've had multiple times people circle back around and say like, hey, thank you for that. I wasn't happy in that role. It wasn't aligned with me at my best. Yes, exactly. So it's like we we fear it. You know, we think it's the worst possible thing to revisit expectations and performance. But really, I mean, who wants to stick in a job where they don't feel like they're succeeding? Uh, yes, we everybody wants to win and feel like they're adding value. Of course, that's so good. I, yeah, when people aren't meeting expectations, it's probably not a fit. And there's like a, there's a freedom for leaders in that, isn't there? Because I know I have a, there's a coaching client that I'm working with right now who is like banging his head up against the wall, trying to figure out how to solve this, this employee performance issue. And we have had that conversation over and over, but for whatever reason, like he just feels so responsible for her not being successful and it's like, dude, it might just not be a fit. Like, that's okay. That's hard. It's really hard, especially if, you know, if you like the, your colleagues or you like people um, that you work with. Well, in this situation, I mean, that's the case. Like, there's so much potential there. And he he really wants to make it work with her. Oh, I wish him the best. Those are tough spots to be in. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a leadership challenge. I mean, we we all have them. They look and feel a bit different, but we all certainly have them. 
Well, this this is so good. So you know, we we've just been on this train of thought around like how to instill ownership and accountability. And I really appreciate you talking about some of the challenges in that. And you know, back to the two characteristics. So looking for the genius in others and instilling ownership and accountability. What else, Aaron, really jumped out for you or was most helpful for you in your journey? Surrounding myself with the resources to take those ideas and create a culture out of them. So knowing that I alone was not going to create a multiplier culture, but looking to resources, in this case, our vice president, who absolutely is responsible for creating the culture. And so I guess I would say if it sounds like a lot of hard work, it can be. It's not hard. It's intentional work. But if you can surround yourself with people that share your desire, your vision for maximizing people's potential, then the pieces start to come together. So I guess my my final, I guess, thought would be not to be worried that you have to go it alone, but to find people that share that essence or that those desires and kind of have it grow from there. Well, and leaders don't go it alone. Right? I mean, that's just like it's inherent in the the root of the word lead is to go to guide to travel somewhere. And uh, there are people following. And so are those the people that are going to that are going to help sustain the culture that you're that you're building? Absolutely. And I think that gets to kind of the why that we talked about. And then also, you know, making sure that um, you're able to articulate those as values of the company. Um, and then and then the people that are drawn to you through the interview process um, and really want to come and work for you are the kinds of people that want that kind of an environment. So it, it, it kind of builds on itself. It builds on itself. It's all connected, isn't it? It's all connected. I find myself saying that in most episodes because it is I mean, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's leadership is about getting results through other people. And so when you think about it through that lens, of course, seeing the genius and the goodness in other people is going to be helpful. Of course, giving them ownership is going to be helpful. But these things that seem so common sense are, are often the hardest things when we're achievers, when we're driving towards the results, when we feel so much responsibility to get it done. Absolutely. Which is why your initial thoughts are are going to be my biggest takeaway, just paying attention. I can be an accidental diminisher, as can most leaders on any given day. And so just paying attention to the impact. There's a difference between my intention and the actual impact. I have to be paying attention to that. The best leaders do. Well, and I guess we have to be accountable ourselves, right? <laughs> yeah. Always looking in the mirror at what what way am I modeling right now? That's great. Well, Erin, thank you so much. If our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? They can find me on LinkedIn or um, hellohedges.com. Hellohedges.com. H-E-D-G-E-S. Yes. Thank you, Erin. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about this uh, this book that I love. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.